0: There is something about this time of year that teaches us about hopeful expectation. In the busyness that becomes a part of our rhythm of life this time of year that we just become so concerned about basically surviving the holiday season and moving on to the next thing, we often remember that we are hoping for something great. We're hoping for the arrival of Christ. But with all this busyness, we often forget that one of the important themes of the Christian life is hopeful expectation as well. We trust in the finished work of Christ on our behalf, and we rest in that truth. But we often find ourselves not looking for the blessed hope of the return of Christ. Now, perhaps this is because we live our lives rooted in the here and the now and what we can touch and what we can see, what we can feel. And maybe it's because we're just too busy to care. We can worry about the hope of eternal life that we have when we're dead, right? We can worry about it later. Or perhaps it just comes down to the fact that we don't know how to have hopeful expectation regarding the return of Christ. We don't know when it will be, and we don't exactly know what it will look like, and so we just push it aside. Now, many years ago, a good friend of mine and I were having a talk about the different views of the end times, and specifically, views of the coming millennial millennium. We were talking about what post-millennials believe, what pre-millennials believe, and what amillennials believe. And then he told me said Mark I'm a pan millennial. Now I'd never heard of a pan millennial before. And so I asked Adam, what is this designation pan millennial? He said I just believe it's all going to pan out in the end. Now I think that many believers fall into that designation. And so we don't think about the coming of Christ much. Because we're just, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. We look forward to it, but it's all going to pan out in the end. Now today, we're not going to be talking about millennial views, and we're not going to be doing any type of speculation. Instead, I want us to think about the tension that Advent and the Christmas season is intended to give us. Every year, we're, we're, we break off from our indifferent slumber regarding the coming of Christ, and Advent forces us to think about this idea. As we we look forward to celebrating the first coming of Jesus at Christmas, we're asked to consider the final return of Christ. As we take a break from working through the books of the Bible like we normally do, during Advent, I go to the traditional text schedules to pick out what we're going to have here as we're taking a break from whatever book we're working through. And every year in December, when I look up what it is in December, I'm reminded that that the passages that are assigned during Advent aren't those passages about Christmas that we were reading a few weeks ago in the book of Acts where we were talking about the coming of Jesus. When the angels came to Mary, uh, when the angel came to... Elizabeth and Zechariah, those aren't usually the passages during Advent when you look up what they're going to be. Instead, they are talk of judgment. They are talk of the second coming of Christ. And so Advent is about that. It's about giving us this idea of hopeful expectation. As we think about the first coming of Jesus, we're to think about the second coming of Jesus. These passages that we look at are often passages of judgment, their calls to repentance, their prophetic calls to prepare ourselves for the great day of the Lord. And so we find ourselves in a passage in the first part of Philippians today, and that type of language that I was just talking about is found there for us. And as I said, we aren't going to consider different views of the end times or speculating about how current events maybe fit in somehow to what we find in the Bible. Instead, we're going to be dealing with what we're called to do to be prepared for the coming of Christ. And so we're going to navigate these nine verses with this idea in front of us, and I'm going to break the passage down into three points again to give us a path to understand how we live in light of the coming day of Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we're going to see is that God is at work in us. Paul is very positive about what God is doing in the life of the Christian in the church at Philippi. He is confident that God is not only working, but that God will bring that work to completion. Secondly, we see that this confidence comes not because he knows them to be particularly good folk or because he trusts that they're going to work hard at it, Instead, we see that he trusts that God is going to bring them to completion because it all relies on the grace that they've received from God. Finally, we see that we're called to live lives of holiness because of the grace that God has blessed us with. And Paul is confident that the Spirit does this work in the believer and that this brings glory and praise to God. And so we're going to isolate our first point here today where we're going to look at this first part of Philippians chapter 1, and we see that Paul has a lot to say about the people in the church at Philippi and the work that, that God is doing in them. Now, it's vital that we understand the context from which Paul is writing this letter. He has been imprisoned for the gospel. This is obviously an important detail, but even more so when you consider how positive Paul is about what God is doing. You know what you and I would probably be thinking and saying if we had been locked up for proclaiming the gospel. We would likely be doom and gloom, or perhaps even more likely, we would be assuming that we had done something wrong and that God was punishing us. Yet here we have Paul telling the Philippian church that he is thankful for them, and he's full of joy. That doesn't make sense to us, but... That is the undercurrent of the entire letter to the church in Philippi. In the midst of hardship, in the midst of persecution, Paul has joy. He's filled with joy. Even though he is separated from this church, and even though he isn't able to be with them, he still feels a partnership with them in the gospel. And he says that he prays for the church, and that he's filled with joy. And we find then that this all leads to something that Paul is very confident about. He has full assurance that God is at work in these people. He doesn't have to be there to witness it. He knows that because they have put their faith and their trust in Jesus, he knows that God is doing something in them. And look at the language that he uses here. He says, I am sure of this. When people talk like this, you know that they have a deep conviction, right? Think about the last time you heard somebody talk this way, where someone flat out said, I absolutely know this is true. And they were willing to take a stand on that. Think about how deep a conviction they had. And Paul means this. He means it more than your uncle, who proudly proclaimed his views on something were absolutely right. He absolutely understands this more than you and I could have a confidence in anything. He believes this. This is an extreme confidence that he has here. And as the sentence continues, we can see why Paul is so confident. It's because his statement isn't about what any human agent is doing. He doesn't say, I am sure of this, that you people can do it. No, his confidence comes because he knows the one who is at work in them. He knows that it is God who began a good work in them, and he knows that it is God who will bring that work to completion. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of hope that the God who began a good work in me is going to bring it to completion. And this gives me hope because I know, I know that God began. The work in me it didn't have anything to do with me i can look back all the way to before i can even remember and i know beyond a doubt that god has been faithful to me the promise that was spoken over me in my baptism in 1975 has come to pass there's no way that i would have come to faith on my own The Word was faithfully proclaimed to me, and the Holy Spirit caused it to take root, and I believed by faith. I was given a heart transplant. My heart of stone was replaced with a heart of flesh. And it is God, not me, who began this good work. But let me tell you, I have tried over and over, and over and over and over and over, To bring this good work to completion on my own. And every time, it ends up in disaster. I fail every day to perfectly love God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. I've tried every tip, I've tried every trick I can come across, but they don't bring me to completion. Instead, they lead me to frustration, they lead me to failure. And the greatest freedom comes when I read this verse. And I hope it does the exact same thing for you. He who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Even on the days where you don't feel like God is at work, He is. Because you've heard the Word and it has taken root and the Holy Spirit indwells you. Don't give up. Don't give in. Continue to hear the Word. Continue to trust the Spirit. On the days where you fall flat on your face, trust this fact that God is at work and He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He is at work in you. And notice what he says. The final destination of this work is... It's the day of Christ. Now, you and I, we want the quick fix. You and I are after the magic bullet, but what do we see here? God is playing the long game. That's what God is doing. You and I want to be zapped, and suddenly we are mature in Christ. But God is going about things in a different way. Through his word and through his spirit, you are being shaped, you are being formed. He is working all things together for good. Now, while you and I want the quick and the easy, you and I know that ultimately that's not how things work, right? You don't make a mouth-watering smoked brisket in the microwave. The most expensive wine wasn't made last week. When you go out for supper, you don't consider the drive through as a source of fine cuisine. God is going to bring you to completion. When you are in Christ, you have a sure and certain promise that he who began a good work in you will finish that work and that you will be conformed to the image of Christ. God is playing the long game and trust God's plan. And before we move on to our second point, I want us to just stop for a second and appreciate just how How awesome this is. Because the day of Christ is coming. Just as we confess, Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. At the end of history, he will return to deliver his kingdom to his Father. And when he returns, you will be complete. If you need to, breathe a sigh of relief about that good news. That's good stuff. The struggles that we have in this world will one day be to an end. The Spirit is at work in us and the good work that was begun in us is not done. It will be brought to completion at the day of Christ. What a source of peace, what a source of joy this should be for us. And so we move on to our second point to see why Paul is so confident in all of this. It's because... He knows that they are partakers in grace. They have received the Lord Jesus. And Paul feels a confidence about this even in the midst of his imprisonment. They are concerned for him and they are praying for him and he is praying for them. He is confident that they are laboring together for the gospel of God's grace. And we need to remember the power with which Paul is able to talk about the power of that grace. Remember who Paul is. He is Saul. He persecuted the church. He stood by while Stephen was martyred. The book of Acts tells us that he was breathing murder on the early church. Yet God chose him to be the one who took the gospel to the Gentiles. Jesus literally knocked him down. He was blinded, but he was brought to the light of God's grace through that experience. And really, when the truth is thought about, each and every one of us are all brought to the grace of God in the same way. Apart from God, we are dead in sin, we are blind to the truth, we are deaf to the word, but we are radically rescued and we are brought to life. We are given vision to see the truth, and we are given ears to hear and believe the word of God. And this was true of Paul, and so it was true of the people in the church at Philippi. And now it is most certainly true of us. And so we labor together for the truth of the gospel. We defend it, and we confirm it in our witness to how it has brought us to life. This grace is the work that was begun in us, And because it didn't start with us, we know that it doesn't end with us. And Paul also shows us something else that flows out of all of this. It's an affection for one another. Paul feels a connection with the church that he can't feel with other people because they are connected by the grace of God. They've been united to Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. And so they're united to one another. And as we now continue on to our final point we see that what we see what this confidence that we have in God's work in us and trusting in his grace leads to we're called to live lives of holiness now paul desires that the love of the people in the church at philippi will abound more and more but notice that he isn't talking about love in the sense of just having nice feelings for one another. This love that we are to abound in, it's rooted in something, isn't it? He wants their love to grow with knowledge. He wants their love to grow with discernment. We need to be able to discern the truth. If our love is rooted in God's grace, then we need to know what that grace is and what it is not. We need to be able to discern the truth from the lie, we need to have a foundation rooted in God's word, not built upon the sand. Because it's very easy, be, easy, to be led astray by things that sound good. The temptation will always be there to follow someone who claims to speak for God, but they do not proclaim the truth. False teaching is alluring. It always has been. Look at the issues that Paul has to address in many of his letters. Look at the issues that the church has faced through the ages. Look at the difficulties we face today. So how does knowledge and discernment connect to love? Well, usually those things, knowledge and discernment, are connected to some kind of legalism or unkindness, Let's stop and really think about this. Is allowing someone to believe false doctrine loving? No, because it moves them away from the truth of God's grace. Most false teaching ends up being something that you have to do. It's a law that you have to keep, or, or it rests on some sort of human activity. So to let someone believe that they can somehow merit salvation on their own, that is arguably the most unloving thing that you can possibly do for them because it puts that that burden on them. The freedom that they are to have in Christ, the shackles that have been removed are put back on by false teaching. Christ removed them And by false teaching, they're put back on. And it puts the burden of salvation back on them when Christ has removed it for their sake. So, this is why. This is why we hold tightly to sound doctrine. This is why we desire to have knowledge and discernment that is rooted in the Word of God. Because it causes us to love more, it causes us to show more grace, it causes people to be set free from the burden of their sin. It allows them to experience the free gospel of God's grace that was won in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And look at where Paul once again brings us to. Notice what he has done here. As we get to the end of this, he's bringing up the day of Christ again. We saw early on That we would have this good work completed in us at the day of Jesus Christ. And now we're seeing that idea again. He sort of bookended this uh, this part of Philippians with this idea of the coming of Christ. Because we're rooted in God's grace. We're discerning the truth of God's word. And so he says that we're able to approve what is excellent and we are going to be found to be pure and blameless for that day of Christ that is coming And notice what else it says. We're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Love and holiness are the end goals. That is what the grace of God plants within us, it is what the Word and the Spirit cultivate. And at the day of Christ, that fruit is harvested. And as we think about this end goal, and we consider the attitude of repentance and looking to the coming of Christ as we move towards Christmas, we have to stop and think about the process of growth. Growth is hard. Those of you who till the soil, whether in the fields or in your gardens, you know there are weeds that need to be eradicated. There are times of drought. There are times of flooding. There are storms. There are winds. Getting to harvest is not an easy process, is it? And if we desire to grow in holiness, I hate to break this to you, or you're going to experience the same thing. It's hard. As we know, we grow in grace and in love through our hearing of the Word and the Spirit at work in us. Now this sounds easy, right? All I have to do is hear the Word, the Spirit activates... It's not easy. First, you have to hear the Word. You have to be taking it in, whether it is here or in your personal study of Scripture. You need to come into contact with God's Word. Then when you do hear it, it isn't an automatic thing. What is the work of the Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Word of God tells us, and it's very clear what the work of the Holy Spirit is. The work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin and unbelief. Being convicted of sin isn't fun. Not at all. It means you need to ask for forgiveness. It means you have to struggle to turn away from it. You need to struggle to mortify it. Being made aware of areas of unbelief in your life isn't easy either. It means you have to, have, it means you have to take your personal ideas and try to conform them to the Word of God. That's hard. I want my way. But that's not what growth is. It's hard to hear the Word and to conform our minds to what God teaches. Think of all the areas of life that this struggle can happen in. Idols that you and I have in our lives. The looseness with our tongue not resting from our labor. Not honoring people that God places in authority over us. Anger and malice towards our brothers and sisters. Lust. Taking what isn't ours. Speaking untruth. Desiring what you don't have. In case you missed it, I just went through the Ten Commandments there. Were you keeping up? Think about that. All those areas where we can be convicted of Sin. Because conforming our lives to God's law is hard. And when the Spirit convicts us of our sin, it's painful. As much as we like to make sin an out there problem, we like to worry about the sins of other people. The truth of the matter is, sin is an in here problem, isn't it? And being convicted of it is Hard. It's really, really hard, and putting it to death is even harder. Yet, I have very, very good news for you folks. All of this is for a purpose, it's to bring you to completion for the day of Christ. And as we look to that day, and as we hope for that day, we do it knowing that we will not arrive at that day guilty and empty. Instead, Because we are in Christ, you and I will be able to stand in the judgment blameless and filled. Not because we've done anything to deserve it, but because we solely rest on the merits of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so we look to that final day knowing that this is true and trusting in our great Savior alone. And so we come away from this passage Understanding these truths. And I think there's two ways that I believe it is important that we apply these ideas as we step out into the world in this coming week. Now, the first one is a bit of a cliche, but I didn't know how else to say it, so I'm going to use a cliche. We need to remember that God isn't finished with us yet. Our desire for the magic bullet in spiritual growth and in sanctification makes us feel like we might never arrive. But the truth is, is that God is playing the long game with us. We are being shaped, we are being formed by the master sculptor. So continue to hear the word, because that is the tool that he uses to form us into his image. Don't give up on the process. Trust in the process. Lean into it. Hear the word, and believe the word. Trust that it will do its work in you, convicting you of sin and driving you to repentance. That is how you are shaped. And I promise you, the word will not stop doing its work. Secondly, believe that God is at work in you. As I said when we began, Christmas helps us to learn how to live in hopeful expectation. And so, Let that idea of the hopeful expectation of Christmas remind you to live in hopeful expectation that God is at work in you. Expect the Word to do its work. Expect the Spirit to convict you of sin and unbelief. And believe that it will be a good thing that will grow you in faith and give you a deeper desire to pursue holiness. And in hopeful expectation believe that even though it's hard, it's going to be worth it because it will bring glory to the one who saved you. The one who came to earth to bear the wrath of God for your sin. The one who on the day of Christ will judge the living and the dead. And the one who will be the reason you are blameless. The one who will be the reason you are filled with the fruit of righteousness on that last day. Amen.